Murder on the Music Scene has rebranded. We are now going by the name Mysterious-ish. Join us for Season 2 of Mysterious-ish, where we will be discussing conspiracy theories such as time travel and aliens. Season 2 premieres March 22nd with two new episodes. Murder on the Music Scene contains graphic and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Murder on the Music Scene, the podcast where a music educator and a music enthusiast discuss the deaths of musicians and the mysteries surrounding them. I'm Caitlin. I'm Erica. And today we are going to be talking about Chris Cornell. Wow. Look at me. I didn't even have to use a script for our intro. We're only 11 episodes deep. <laughs> it's about time. So I am going to apologize in advance for the echo because the place where we usually record, there is a very obnoxious band playing outside, outside, and um, you can hear it in Erica's apartment. So we're recording in a different room, which is fine. It's just a little echoey. Just a little bit. Hopefully I can... So, Chris Cornell. You ready? Yes. Here we go. Tell me about Christopher Cornell. Actually, we're going to talk chat, a little chat, about Christopher John Boyle. I see. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Christopher John Boyle was born on July 20th, 1964 in Seattle, Washington. Oh. So many Seattle musicians. It's wild. Like, so don't go to Seattle if you are famous, I guess, huh? I guess they just breed musicians, but also then, then they get dead. So there must be something in the water up there. <laughs> But, so his mom, Karen Cornell, was an Yeah, her name was Karen. So Karen was an accountant, and his dad, Ed Boyle, was a pharmacist. Uh, Chris was one of six kids. Uh-huh. He was, like, in the middle. So he had two brothers, Peter and Patrick, and three sisters, Katie, Susie, and Maggie. Cute. Those poor parents. Can you imagine? Kitsu, ah, me, yeah, whatever your fucking name is, get in here. Exactly. My mother struggled enough with Caitlin and Caleb. Yeah, that was, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I keep saying that I'm never going to be the person, the parent to uh, give her children the same beginning letters because I know that it messes with your brain. I mean, my hamsters, I named them Onyx and Ozzy, and it was difficult enough because then when Onyx died... I was I kept calling kept calling Ozzy Onyx and it just would make me really sad. So setting myself up for failure, look at me. Anyways, hamsters are not uh, comparable to kids, but so anyways, um, I also read on Wikipedia. Don't come at me, I don't care. Um, his mother Karen was a quote self-proclaimed psychic. So take that as you wish. As I'm sure you gathered, I couldn't find a lot on his early life, hence my deep dive into Wikipedia, and I'm not sorry about it. Um, I couldn't find how he got into music or, like, anything. This guy has 
a shit ton of information on his like musical career and his later life, mm -hmm. but not so much for his early life. So one thing I did read was that he took piano lessons when he was seven and that he really, 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 really liked the Beatles. Who doesn't? It's true. My husband. What? Uh-huh. Fuck you, Dylan. Yeah. He, I told him that I wanted to play, oh, I can't remember what Beatles song it was, but I wanted to play a Beatles song at the wedding and he told me no because he doesn't like the Beatles. That was my red flag. <laughs> Shit. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love my husband so much. So he also liked Alice Cooper and Leonard Skinner. I feel like the Beatles and Alice Cooper and Leonard Skinner are very different yeah. musical styles, but it's fine. I mean, me too. Me listening to like Bring Me the Horizon versus like Hannah Montana. <laughs> I don't know. T-Pain. I guess I listened to T-Pain. I was jamming out to my early 2000s playlist on my way here. So, whatever. Oh, how was that? That was pretty nice. Oh, that was good. That was nice. I can't remember what songs came on, but... So, Krista... Krista... Went to an elementary school <laughs> called Christ the King Catholic Elementary School. Mm. That didn't last long. Uh, he went to high school at a place called Shorewood High School. Um, I read in multiple places that being around people made him uneasy and anxious. Same. Same. <laughs> Me too. Um, but that music uh, helped him get through those feelings of unease. Also same. So he has anxiety already at a very tender age of like, I don't know, seven. So already has anxiety. Perfect. <laughs> um, but music is helping him through it. So that's sweet. So his parents divorced in his early teens, which sent him into a depression and caused him to drop piano lessons and become devoted to guitar and drums. It was at that point that Chris and all of his siblings took their mother's maiden name. So I'm not sure like what happened, but from the sound of it, it sounds to me like his dad, their dad, wasn't a great, wasn't great. And so when they got divorced, they changed all of their names to Cornell. So by the age of 12, Chris was using drugs, and by 13, he was a daily drug user. He would smoke weed, do LSD, psilocybin mushrooms. Psilocybin, psilocybin? I don't know how to say that word. I don't know. It's, spelled, it's spelled with a P. So uh, yeah, shrooms basically, and prescription drugs, and of course he was drinking alcohol. Um, I also read that when he was 14, he had a bad trip on PCP which caused him to have a panic disorder and agoraphobia. So he's like Sheila from Shamelessing It and just straight oh. up not leaving his house ever. Oh. Because he's afraid that he's gonna die every time he takes a step. Every time he steps. <laughs> oh. Did you have a stroke? Yeah, a little bit. Just like a mild one. I'm, I'm, I think I'm okay though. Okay, let's get this. Mm -hmm. Thinks he's gonna die every time he takes a step out of his house. So. Um, Chris states that his mother saved his life by buying him a snare drum. So Chris dropped out of high school at the age of 15. Um, he had two reasons. One, he had a problem with authority. Two, he wanted to work to help his mother support his family. So sweet. So he got a job. Um, he worked a bunch of jobs that teenagers do. He was a busboy, a waiter, and a dishwasher. Um, until he finally became a cook at that restaurant, working his way up the little food chain there. 
Um, some reports referred to him as a sous chef, and others just referred to him as a kitchen cook. I personally prefer sous chef because kitchen cook has negative connotations behind it, and um, our boy deserves the best here. And so he was a sous chef. And during his time as a sous chef, Chris was also working on his musical abilities. He started his first band called the Jones Street Band, which was a cover band. And in 1982, he began working with the band The Shemps, S-H-E-M-P-S, The Shemps, I don't know, um, where he met bassist Hiro Yamamoto. I think I'm saying that right, and I'm so sorry if I'm not. Um, a couple years later, the Shemps broke up, and so Chris took Hero and made a new band with another dude named Kim Fail. Fail. I don't know how to say that one either. I'm so sorry. I should have looked these up. <laughs> Anyways, so this band, now made up of Chris Cornell, Hiro Yamamoto, and Kim Fail, was called Soundgarden. So Chris started out as Soundgarden's drummer and vocalist, which, like, really got me because I only knew that he was ever the vocalist. Like, I never knew that he did drums. Mm-hmm. Yep. Love my uh, hand motions. Wow, I'm really struggling today. It's okay. <laughs> this is it's not good. going great for me. So one year after the band was formed in 1985, they hired Scott Sundquist. Sundquist? Sunkist? I don't know. Sund something. Um, so then he, Scott, Scotty boy, became the drummer. And they did this so that Chris could focus on singing. So this dude, Chris, he does it all. He plays piano, he plays drums, he plays guitar, he sings. Damn. Damn. He's like a quadruple threat. That's definitely not the right way to use that term, but I don't care. That's why I'm using it. Deal with it. So Soundgarden got its name from an art installation in, Se in a Seattle neighborhood called Sand Point. The band's first gig was at a Seattle club called Top of the Court. Top of the Court. Top of the Court to you. <laughs> to be a little top hat, you know. Top of the Court. So uh, Soundgarden's sound garden. Sorry, bad pun. Anyways, their sound was, according to IMDb, quote, edgy, dark, and deeply individual. Mm -hmm. Their savage soundscapes, coupled with Cornell's incisive lyrics and predatory roar, seduced audiences hungry for musical depth and complexity. Oh. <laughs> what a quote. <laughs> Cornell's predatory roar. What does that even mean, and why does it sound... Not great. <laughs> exactly. So in 1986, Scott Sundquist left the band to spend time. I'm still not saying that right, but I'm so sorry. I really should have looked these names up. Sorry, right. guys. So Scott left the band to spend time with his growing family. Um, he was promptly replaced by Matt Cameron, who would become Soundgarden's permanent drummer. In 1987, Soundgarden signed to a label called Sub Pop. Sub Pop. That's hard to say. Sub Pop. Sub Pop. Anyways, and they released their first EP titled Screaming Life. And their second EP was called Fop. F O P P. Fop. We thought the 90s was weird. Hmm. The 80s is even weirder. Um. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> that reminds me of FAP. I know, I had the same thought. Maybe that's just like 
That's just our like meme upbringing. You know what I mean? So uh, by 1988, the band was being wooed by multiple major label companies, but they stuck with an independent one and signed to SST Records. Uh, this is when they released their first album, which has the world's best title ever. Are you ready? I'm ready. Their first album was called Ultra Mega OK. I love that. Ultra Mega is one word and then the, the letters OK. Ultra Mega OK. I also discovered that this album was released on Halloween of 1988, so it's an ultra mega spooky album. Uh Oh, yes, as we're finally in spooky season. Finally in spooky season. Oh my gosh, I think this is the first time we've recorded since spooky season has started. I don't think we've recorded since. Oops. Anyways, happy spooky season, everyone. Um, So their album, Ultra Mega OK, also earned them a Grammy nomination for Best Metal Performance in 1990. So I would say that it was like a little bit more than okay. Maybe it was ultra mega okay. Yeah. (laughs) So this album drew even more attention from major record labels, and the band finally signed with a major label called A&M Records. Soundgarden is the very first grunge band to sign with a major label, they laid the groundwork for our man's Kurt Cobain. Mm-hmm. Love it. So in 1989, the band released their second album titled Louder Than Love with AM Records. Following the release of this album, Hiro Yamamoto decided to leave the band. Uh, I read that he wanted to finish his master's degree in physical chemistry at Western Washington University. That's, that's pretty badass, so uh, we'll allow it. Best of luck to you, hero. Um, so he was replaced by. Get this. Hero. <laughs> hero was replaced by former Nirvana guitarist Jason Everman. I don't remember ever reading or writing about him in the Kurt Cobain episode, but it's fine. So um, he appears in the band's cover of The Beatles Come Together, as well as. The in the loud love music video, but poor Jason doesn't last long. Um, he is quickly replaced by Ben Shepard. I could not figure out why, but he oh. he got he got kicked out. Okay. So in 1990, Cornell married his longtime girlfriend Saren Silk. Saren. <laughs> Saren. I'm so sorry. He married his longtime girlfriend Susan Silver. Susan. Susan. Not Saren. I'm so sorry I said. Susan Silver was the band manager for none other than Allison Chains. Ooh. So many name drops in this episode. Yeah. Um, also in 1990, Cornell started doing a little side project. Um, he started what Google called a, quote, super group called Temple of the Dog. Um, this was a little tribute band for Chris's late friend, Andrew Wood. Um, this group featured Chris Cornell on vocals, the person who has single-handedly the best name I've ever heard in my in my life, Stone Gossard. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying his last name right. Stone Gossard played rhythm guitar, Jeff Ament on bass guitar, Mike McCready on lead guitar, Matt Cameron on drums, and Eddie Vedder as backup vocals. Literally all of the men that I just listed besides Chris Cornell joined together to form Pearl Jam, which was another super popular grunge band in the 90s. So anyways, um, 
Temple of the Dog only released one self-titled album in April of 1991. Bad Motor Finger, all one word, Bad Motor Finger, was the band's third album, which was released. Are you saying they're bad at fingering women? Mm, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I think, I wonder if it's supposed to be like trigger finger, but motor finger? I don't know. I, I didn't come up with it. So I don't know. They've got a lot of really strange album names. So, but this album was released in 1991 and Soundgarden toured with fucking Guns N' Roses to promote this album. That's huge. Like Guns N' Roses. So that worked. Weird enough. Did you get that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, who would have thought that? Touring with one of the biggest bands in the world would promote your album. Good thinking. I don't know who who did that, but that was a good thought process. So this album brought Soundgarden to a whole new level of success. Um, this is the album that featured songs such as Outshined and Rusty Cage, which are both really good songs. You know those two? I'm feeling outshined, outshined, outshined. And then Rusty Cage's, I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run. I really like Soundgarden. <laughs> so um, Rusty Cage was even covered by Johnny Cash. Oh. And it also appeared on the Radio X station in Grand Theft. Johnny Cash was alive then? Yeah, dude. Johnny Cash died like not that long ago. Really? Yeah, he he only died. He died in the 2000s. No. Yeah. He's also pretty problematic, so there's that. Johnny Cash died in 2003. Oh, see, I was just a little chilling, so that's why it sounds like a millennium ago. Well, he was born in 1932, so... Oh, damn. Yeah. Hey, you want to know a fun fact? Yeah. My stepmom's family buried Johnny Cash. Legally, after he died of natural causes. <laughs> They didn't murder him and then put him in the ground, I promise. <laughs> I wish I wish they could have saw your face when you said that. Legally! <laughs> well, it's just like when we were talking about weddings just a second ago and I had to, had to confirm to Luke that I would do my wedding all over again with my current husband right now. <laughs> it's not that I want to leave my husband and be with someone else and have another wedding. No, I want to have the same wedding. I just want to like relive it. That's yeah, it. That's it. That's fine. So anyways, <laughs> Rusty Cage also appeared on the Radio X station in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, that plot just sort of gave me war flashbacks. I remember being way too young to play Grand Theft Auto and playing Grand Theft Auto on my PlayStation 2 and listening to that song on the, the fake radio station on the, the fake video game. Oh, fake video game. It was a real song, though. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> so anyways, uh, in 1992, Soundgarden made an appearance on the soundtrack for the Cameron Crowe movie Singles, um, their song Birth Ritual, as well as Chris Cornell's solo song Seasons are included in that soundtrack. Uh, in July of 1992, the band joined Lollapalooza oh. alongside the Red Hot Chili Peppers mm. and Pearl Jam. Mm. So far, we've had like 10 different name drops, like 10 of them. It's insane. Um, 
Also, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers are amazing performers, and there is nothing that I wouldn't do to see them perform again. They're like musicians and they're comedians. They're hilarious. And also their set was really good. So I will be going to see them as soon as I get the chance. Also, it's Dylan's favorite band, so I think if I, uh, if he, if we die, or if Red Hot Chili Peppers, like, disbands, and he never gets to see them, and then I have already seen them, I think he might kill me. Or divorce me, one of the two. Oh, Anyways. So, fast forward to 1994. Um, the album that Wikipedia calls the band's breakthrough album was released, but I don't really feel like it was their breakthrough album because there were a lot of good songs on Bad Motorfinger, but I don't know. I guess that's just me. Whatever. So this album was titled Super Unknown, and it debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 charts. It debuted at number one. Wow. (laughs) Doing good, doing good. So this is the album that features many of the very famous singles like Spoon Man. I don't know the rest of the words, that's all I know. And Black Hole Sun. Won't you come and wash away the rain? You know that one. You have to know Black Hole Sun. If you don't know Black Hole Sun, we can't be friends. Can I tell you something? Erica. (laughs) Caitlin. I don't don't even know who this dude was. Yo, we gotta go. (laughs) We gotta go. I have to to help culture Erica really quickly. (laughs) I've heard of him, but like... When I read the band's name, I was like, I have no idea. Who you know is. Black Hole Sun. You definitely know. It's the the music video for Black Hole Sun is like LSD on steroids. Like you just have to watch it. It's one of the weirdest music videos I've ever seen in my entire life. It's so weird. Anyways, so this album brought the band insurmountable recognition and fame. Super Unknown was quintuple platinum in the US, triple platinum in Canada, and gold status in the UK, Sweden, and the Netherlands. I still don't know what it means to go platinum a couple times. Still don't know what it means, but you know, it's fine. The ultra mega weird music video for Black Hole Sun earned the band an MTV Video Music Award and a Clio Award. This song and Spoon Man earned the band two Grammy Awards. Um, Black Hole, so sun, because I put black hole S-S-U-N. <laughs> black hole sun for the best hard rock performance and Spoon Man for best metal performance. Uh, two award winners on one album. Good for them. Good for them. So now we're going to skip forward to 1996 when the band releases what will be their final album. It's called Down on the Upside. And it features singles such as Pretty Noose, Blow Up the Outside World, and Burden in My Hand. Blow Up the Outside World. Yeah. I I don't know any of these ones, actually. And uh, Blow Up the Outside World is pretty edgy, if you ask me. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. It sort of, it just reminds me of, like, the very edgy songs that we listen to in middle school. Like, I don't know, Fall Out Boy and what's that? The one band, Bless the Fall. Bless the Fall had so many very edgy song titles. It was insane. Like one was like, I hate to be you when you find out what this song is really about or something like that. It was just like ridiculously long. Anyways, 
Wow, that was a tangent. <laughs> so um, this album was way different than any of their other albums. Uh, the band stated that they simply wanted to experiment with other sounds, which like good on them because sometimes you do have to change your sound in order to keep your audience entertained. Like Bring Me the Horizon. Let's let's take their very first album that is just straight screaming, just straight deathcore screaming compared to what they have most recently released. They're so different, but they took steps along the way to get to the, that place. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I feel like people who are like, oh, Bring Me the Horizon or whoever is not the same band anymore. Well, no, they're not. They grew up, they aged. Get over it. Be a true fan or fuck off. <laughs> so, uh, the single Pretty Noose did receive another Grammy nomination, but the band ultimately decided to split in April of 1997. In an interview, Thale said, it was pretty obvious from everybody's general attitude over the course of the previous half year that there was some dissatisfaction. So basically, everybody's pissed off. It's fine. So this disbanding of Soundgarden didn't discourage our boy Chris, though. He decided to go solo, and he released Euphoria Morning, which showcased his talent for singing and songwriting. I like this description that I found from IMDb. It says, quote, with its richly melodic and critically acclaimed sound recognized for its alienation and despair. IMDb is really on it. This, <laughs> this is the most dramatic adjective-filled article I've ever read in my whole life. It's insane. So this album was not what his fans were expecting. Um, It explored so many different genres, such as folk and R&B. It did, however, earn him a Grammy nomination for Best Male Rock Performance. So it must have been pretty decent if I got him a Grammy. Despite his success, Chris was deeply dissatisfied with himself. He was also dealing with the loss of several very close friends, as well as social phobias and drug and alcohol abuse. So he was once again sent into a deep depression and began to use drugs again. In June of 2000, Chris and his wife Susan, not Saren, Chris and his wife Susan welcomed their first daughter, who they named Lillian Jean. That's cute. Lil Lily Jean. That's so cute. So the next year, Chris joined former Rage Against the Machine band members, minus vocalist Zach De La Roja. 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 I don't freaking know how to say Roja. it. I'm not, I'm not even sorry. Um, and they, these people formed the band Audio Slave. Do you know Rage Against the Machine? Yeah, I've heard of them. Okay, okay, okay. Killing in the name of... You definitely know that one. Um, yeah, so obviously released their first self-titled album in November of 2002. This album featured singles such as Show Me How to Live and Like a Stone and hit triple platinum in the U.S. So remember how I said that Chris was falling back into a depression and began to use drugs again? Yeah. Well, uh, it nearly ruined Audio Slave before they even released their first album. So they were supposed to perform at Ozfest, but had to cancel because of, quote, personal issues of Cornell's. Uh, Chris later confirmed the rumor that he had checked himself into rehab while he was doing a phone interview with Metal Hammer magazine. He told San Diego City Beat that he went through a, quote, horrible personal crisis. He stayed in rehab for two months and separated from his wife, Saren. Susan, <laughs> in 2004, the couple finally divorced. 
The little daughter's only like four years old. That's sad. So, Audio Slave toured in 2003 and stopped in 2004 in order to record their second album, uh, Out of Exile. I almost said, quote, Out of Exile. Yeah. Okay, so um, Out of Exile was released in May of 2005 and debuted at number one on the U.S. charts. Chris said that this album featured his most personal songs ever. He was influenced by the positive changes in his life since 2002. I'm assuming that means that he like he got sober again and was um, doing great. So on May 6th of 2005, the band performed a free show in Havana, Unana, Cuba, uh, becoming the first American rock group to perform in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Their audience was 70,000 people 70,000 that's ridiculous and their set featured 26 songs making it the longest set that audio slave had ever played i almost forgot the name of the band that i was talking about audio slave so audio slave's third album titled revelations was released in september of 2006 um all of the band's lyrics were written by chris but the music was credited to the whole band uh, Brad Wilk, which was the band's drummer, said that Audio Slave's songwriting was more collaborative and satisfying than Rage Against the Machines, which he says was, quote, a battle creatively. I could see that. Everybody's egos are a little high. Everybody wants to produce good shit. And you're under pressure to get it out as fast as you can. In July of 2006, there were rumors flying about that Cornell wanted to leave the band. And on February 15th of 2007, Cornell confirmed the rumors and announced that he would be leaving Audio Slave. He said, quote, due to the irresolvable personality conflicts as well as musical differences, I am permanently leaving the band Audio Slave. I wish the other three members nothing but the best in all of their future endeavors. However, the band reunited in 2017 for a very, very, very momentous occasion. The anti-inaugural ball, which protested Trump's inauguration. That's all I'm saying. Moving on. So why was Chris Cornell so famous? What about his musical style made him so popular and sought after by literally every band ever? Well, let me tell you. So his songwriting used a lot of non-traditional chord progressions. Okay, back up. Hold up. I'm going to throw a lot of musical terms at you. I'm going to throw a lot of musical terms at you right now. Okay. I'll do my best to put them in English, okay? Okay, So his songwriting used a lot of non-traditional chord progressions that do not conform to the diatonic scale. Basically, most songs that you hear are in some form of diatonic scale, which just means like that it sounds pretty. Okay. There's not a lot of like, you took, you were in choir like sharps and flats, okay? There's not a lot of like sharps and flats in, in the key signature, okay? So he didn't use the very typical, you know that, that YouTube video that's like, this, all these songs use the same four chords over and over and over again. You can sing the same song, or all these songs based on this same chord progression. He doesn't use that chord progression. He uses a lot of different chords mm-hmm. and progressions. So basically he uses chords that not a lot of popular musicians use and he changes keys a lot. Like, he's all over the place. Modulations all over. Um, He had a wicked wide range of almost, like, four octaves. Like, his singing range was insane. To put put that into perspective, I can only sing, like, two and a half octaves (laughs) on my best days. So, 
um, for all my musicians who know what this means, he could sing from a C2 to an A5 as a baritone. Mm -hmm. Baritone is like, so like the lowest, the lowest of the low is bass. And then there's the baritone, tenor, soprano, alto, soprano. I fucked that up. Hi, I took four years of college. Anyways, <laughs> I took Listen, I graduated with a degree in music education and I just fucked up alto and soprano. Someone's gonna kill me. Anyway, so um, he's a baritone and I can barely sing an A5 anymore. That's like above the freaking staff. Like, honey, calm down. He is impressive to say the least. So let's talk about his personal life really quick. Uh, I already said that him and Susan divorced in 2004. And that same year, in 2004, he gets divorced and remarried to a woman named Vicky Karayanis. I'm so sorry. It's K-A-R-A-Y-I-A-N-N-I-S. I can't pronounce it and I'm not sorry. So together they had a daughter and they named her Tony and a son who they named Christopher Nicholas. The Cornells also started a foundation in 2012, which they called the Chris and Vicki Cornell Foundation. This foundation helps homeless, poor, and abused or neglected children. That was just to make you uh, love him some more before we kill him off. So here we go. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> before we kill him off. Uh-huh. So May 18th, 2017, around 12.15 in the morning, Chris Cornell's bodyguard found him lying unconscious on the floor of his hotel bathroom at the MGM Grand in Detroit. He was found with an exercise band around his neck and blood in his mouth. Medics and EMTs were unable to resuscitate him, so he was pronounced dead at 1.30 a.m. He was only 52 years old. He had performed the night before with Soundgarden at the Fox Theater in Detroit. The official cause of death was determined to be suicide by hanging. Police ruled out foul play because of the surveillance because the surveillance video did not show anyone entering or exiting his room after the bodyguard left at 11:35 p.m. The autopsy was released on June 2nd confirming that Chris's death was a suicide by hanging. The medical examiner stated that Cornell's injuries were all quote consistent with hanging, partially suspended by the resistance exercise band, and that drugs had nothing to do with his death. So I remember exactly what I was doing when it was announced that Chris Cornell had died. I was working at a terrible factory um, as a college student. Um, that was my summer job. So I was working at this factory. I was sitting in the break room, listening to a local rock radio station on the speakers when the radio announcer said it. I remember thinking, wait, Soundgarden was supposed to headline Rock on the Range in Columbus, Ohio that weekend. The music festival was supposed supposed to start the very next day. He had died the night before he was supposed to go to Columbus, Ohio and headline this music festival. So I also remember the tributes that were played for Chris at Rock on the Range. Um, Corey Taylor from Slipknot got on stage and gave a performance of Hunger Strike that made me sob. I literally like after that video was posted, I couldn't watch it because it just made me sob. And I tried to watch it again when I was doing my research and Dylan came in the apartment and he was like, what are you watching? And I told him through like 
sobs. <laughs> I was like, Dylan, he died. He was supposed to headline and Corey Taylor is singing to him and I can't do it. He was like, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that's very, that's very much Dylan to do that. I'm such an empath. I quite literally can't. And when people do shit like that through music, it just like rips out my musician heart, my empath heart. I can't do it. I can't do it. So now it's your turn to sob. Are you ready? Here's something else that made me fucking sob. Chester Bennington was a really, really good friend of Chris Cornell. Mm -hmm. Chester and Brad Delson performed Hallelujah at Chris's funeral. Oh yeah. Hallelujah makes me cry. Yeah. I am not okay. And the Space Needle in Seattle went dark for a whole hour to honor Chris. And now I have a lump in my throat. So anyways, we're gonna change the subject before I actually start sobbing again. So Chris was cremated and his ashes were placed next to Johnny Ramone's statue, like Johnny mm -hmm. Ramone from the Ramones. Uh -huh. um, and here's a quote that will hopefully make everyone else sob, just like I did, from Alice Cooper after Chris's death, quote, Chris Cornell in our circle was known as the voice because he had the best voice in rock and roll. I was lucky enough to write and record two songs with him. His death comes as a total shock to all of us. Black Hole Sun will live on as a classic, and his is a true legacy of rock and roll. Now take over so that I can stop crying. Please and thanks. Okay, now we're going into conspiracies so Caitlin doesn't cry. Um, so we all know the famous hacker group Anonymous, correct? Oh, yep, yep, yep. So we all, we all know that uh, they just know everything in the world. Mm -hmm. Yes, correct. Um, they have a theory that Chris uh, did not commit suicide. Oh. Um, but that he was murdered, along with a few other music musicians, because mm -hmm. they were linked to a child trafficking network that was connected to Jeffrey Epstein. Wait, like they were part of it? Yes. So they were murdered because they were in it? No. No, no I think, um, the... See, this article was kind of weird, but what I think is that they knew and oh. they were going to say, Okay, like, okay, that makes sense because I know Chester Bennington had like a bajillion and six kids. Like yeah. he, I think he literally had like six kids. Yeah, so I think that way. I think they knew some knew shit. Knew about it and Ep Epstein was like, mm-mm, mm -hmm. I think not. And uh, this article actually came out earlier earlier this year, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? Yeah. And the group does claim that they have documents to support the theory, and they plan on sharing those though that proof later. We do not have the proof now. Good. But well, I hope they do. I hope they share it. But that's just a little fun thing that, you know, I just found it really weird. I was like, wow, we're looking at deaths of musicians and Anonymous just pops up. Yeah. Like, no kidding. They're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> also, side note, just please know that these are conspiracies because I kind of saw where a lot of people were trying to do conspiracies and other people were getting attacked for because, you know, nobody right. wants to talk bad about Chris Cornell. We are not talking bad about him. No. This is, we're just having fun. None of our conspiracies are like set in stone. None of them mean that like this is for sure what happened. It's what we believe. And like 
everyone's entitled to their own opinion, okay? So just let us be, okay? Just let us be. Okay, so another article that I read talked about how him and Chester Bennington are connected due to being connected, due to be, are connected due to be connect, being connected to a pedophile ring. Yeah. Um, and I will, I will say that this is just a conspiracy and it's just based on speculation, not evidence. I just thought it was interesting. So I threw it in here. Right. Um, Well, I mean, it's not the first time that we've talked about someone knowing too much and being off because they knew too much. Like it's not, that's not the first conspiracy we've had like that. Right. All right. So Chester passed away July 20th of 2017, which was two months before Chris passed away. May 18, 2017, correct? After. After. What'd I say? You said before. Lol. (laughs) (laughs) It goes May, June, July, not July, June, May. Why not? (laughs) Well, because that's how the world works. But also, what is is July 20th? Let me just pull up my notes. I'm going to let Erica make this realization. (laughs) I'm scared. First sentence. I wish, birthday. I wish I had a camera to record her face. Wait, wait, yes. Well, wait, I knew, I knew this, but I forgot it to my notes. Yes, 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 Chris passed away. Yes, they were both really good friends and both died in similar ways. Both of their deaths were ruled as suicides by hanging. Chester took his life on what would have been Chris's 53rd birthday. Yeah, there it is. I remember that there too. I very vividly remember that. I remember sitting in the same fucking break room and thinking, oh my God, Chester Bennington is dead now too. And then they were all, they came out with all of the like details of Chester's death and it sounded so similar to Chris Cornell's. And I was like, my little like 18 year old brain was like, I think not. Something fishy is going on here. Look at me, my little baby conspiracy brain. So apparently some investigators are claiming that unexplained gaps in the timeline of Chris's death was not a suicide at all, but that it was a premeditated homicide in cover-up. Right. Um, investigator Randy Cody is one of them questioning it being a suicide. He says that perceived timeline gaps and forensic questions are two signs that Chris had a head wound that was not mentioned in, to- in autopsy reports. Mm. So yeah, that's not good. You can't yeah. leave out wounds in an so, autopsy report. Um, I actually remember this article, and I didn't write it in my notes. So basically what Randy was talking about was there was at the concert, like mm-hmm. the day. The concert the day before, right. That he was at, um, there's actually a video where you can see that he had like a head wound before. At the concert? At the concert, I guess. I don't know. I'm. I just remember reading that. That he, like, I guess looked, just, he just looked at footage from from the concert and he said he remembers seeing it, which is a little weird because, like, what kind of a head wound would it have been, like? Right, but also if it was, because autopsy technicians, they can tell whether a a wound was inflicted, first of all, post-mortem. But they can also tell if it was inflicted like before time of death because if if it's like like a bruise, if you have a bruise, if it's like bright blue and like you can tell if it's fresh. Like right. if it's starting to like yellow itself out, then it's like you can tell that it's healing. Mm-hmm. But and same thing with like a gash. Like if you 
if it was a gash, it would still be bleeding. Right. Like if it was fresh right before he died. Whereas if it were an old wound, you could tell because it would either be scabbed over or you, there's... Why would they leave it out? Right. Yeah. That's a little sus. Um, let's see. May 22nd, 2017, just a couple days after Chris's death, Randy also claims that Chris was murdered because he was about to expose pedophiles involved in Pizzagate. So Pizzagate was believed to be a child sex trafficking ring linked to Hillary Clinton and was being run out of Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria in Washington, D.C. Um, but I will say that there's not really any evidence that this was a real thing. But um, this this article actually did say that they just bullshit a lot of conspiracies. But yes. But okay, all right. Yes, I can see that. <laughs> but sometimes, like I'm, I have said it before, and I will say it again, sometimes circumstantial evidence is no longer circumstantial. There comes a point when you have to look at the quote circumstantial evidence and think, oh my God, why is it so fucking circumstantial? Oh wait, because Courtney Love killed him. But uh, this conspiracy was actually brought up uh, by the famous conspiracy theorist, Alex Jones. So basically Alex Jones brought this on and then he realized the shit that was going down because I guess a lot of people attacked him. So Alex Jones was like, debunked it and was like, yeah, I was just spewing. Yeah, he like, debunked Pizzagate. Yeah, I guess. Okay, okay, okay. But like, as I said, I don't know if that is true or not. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, clearly pedophile rings still exist. Yes. Maybe Hillary Clinton wasn't involved in them. Maybe she was. Maybe it was ran out of a pizza place. Maybe it wasn't. Who the fuck knows? But um, that was really it for conspiracies. Just... He, uh, Chris, knew some shit, and they murdered him. Right. Because he was going to speak out. Yeah. Well, and we saw that with who? Who did we see that with? I don't know. We've talked about this thing before where someone knew something that they shouldn't have known, and then they think that they offed him for it. Mm -hmm. But I do, I don't think that Chris Cornell killed himself. I really, really, really don't think that this was a suicide I don't think it was even like like a Robin Williams situation where he was like, I don't know, the autoerotic asphyx asphyxiation thing. I don't mm -hmm. think that's it at all what it was supposed to be either. I just don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was Epstein. Right. Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he opted himself because, or, um, or maybe he didn't. Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> Those were like... Honestly, my favorite memes. For real though, yeah. Because same. there was like the one that was like explaining this really big long, like, I don't know, explaining something forever and ever and ever. And then at the very bottom, it just said, and Epstein didn't kill himself. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> That's my favorite. I was like, why did I just waste my time reading but this? I was so, in I remember because I was so intrigued. And then by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, what the fuck? I was like, you right though. <laughs> Maybe we should do a, an Epstein episode. For a bonus, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That'd be dope. Yeah. I would yeah. definitely love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know what happened to Chris Cornell. I just find it a little weird that two best friends, because him and Chester were really close. Right. Obviously, they knew something, and I find it a little weird that they were um, 
both of the same deaths almost exactly two months apart. Right. Like, well, and spoiler alert, our next episode is going to be about Chester Bennington, and um, hopefully we'll get more in-depth into all of these. That one might be a little less organized, though, because a lot of the... Um, what Erica was telling me before we started recording, a lot of Chris Cornell's conspiracies sort of tied in to Chester Bennington, which is why he got brought up so much. But I feel like it is also important because, in my opinion, I feel as though Chester Bennington did, um, I feel like his death was a suicide as a reaction to Chris Cornell, but I don't think that Chris Cornell's was a suicide. I really think that he was murdered. I don't know how or by who or why even, but I don't think that, I don't think his was intentional on his own part. Right. Can I tell you something? Yes. This is probably like the first episode where there's not a conspiracy that he's still alive. Yeah. No, because he's definitely dead because Vicky, his wife, Chris Cornell's wife has spoken out so many times and like, I know that they're kids and- Listen, I just want to say that poor woman- Vicky? Yes, because apparently that's why I did not bring up anything that w- that involved her is because she's been attacked a lot. Yeah. Because a lot of people even like start questioning her on why he was taking so many medicines. Because I guess he I had, did I did read that somewhere. Because I guess but at the same time it makes sense because obviously he was addicted to drugs and I'm not saying he used those pills for drugs and but like obviously he was mentally not okay. Right. So obviously he needed those. One of the articles that I read did list, like it did have the toxicology report. And the only thing that was like strange in there would be, um, like I saw he had Ativan and he had something else. I don't even remember. But the, and then there was also the one that they use when you overdose. What is that called? The narco, is it narco? Ooh, I don't know. Mm. The one that the one that they use to like the drug that they use to um, pump your stomach when someone overdoses. But that was in his system and Ativan and I think there was something else. But there weren't I mean and the coroner said that drugs didn't have anything to yeah. do with it. Drugs did not have anything to do with it, that he died by the asphyxiation. So but he also had blood in his mouth. So I don't know if he... How did he get blood in his mouth? Did they not say anything that he maybe a bit bit himself somewhere in his mouth? Like his tongue or something? Or? No, I didn't see that anywhere. But yeah. I feel like the only thing that could have happened is... Because if he was found on the floor... Or like if he gritted his teeth, maybe he knocked on a tooth loose? I don't know. I don't know. Like maybe he had like a bad tooth back there. And I don't know. Maybe the the only thing that I could really think about, because he was found with the exercise band around his neck, but he was found on the floor. So I don't know if he hanged himself. I don't know if he like hanged himself and then fell and smacked his mouth on something else because it does take, but then it, they would have been able to determine if that blood was post-mortem or not. Right. I just don't, there's just a lot. There's just a lot. And that freaking head wound that you said. Yeah. That head wound that wasn't reported. If it was from like a previous wound, why didn't the autopsy technician report it? Yeah, that is a little sus. They have to report everything. I mean, they would literally have to go down my arm and detail every single freaking tattoo that I have. Mm -hmm. If I, if God forbid, if I died. Like, 
they have to be so detailed. So why didn't they include that head wound even if it was old? Right. I don't know. I don't have answers for this one. I just know that it sucks. <laughs> it sucks a lot. Because he was. He was a very talented musician and he was obviously a good guy. I mean, he's had internal struggles, but everyone does. Mm-hmm. And your flaws don't define you. So... Chris Cornell was an amazing person. He was a fabulous musician, and we miss him. Good dude. Good dude. I'm not going to cry. But, yeah. Anyways. Sorry, this episode was kind of heavy. Kind of heavy. I feel like it's going to only be worse in the Chester Bennington episode because, like, that was my boy. I love me some Linkin Park. Well, it's okay. I'll be the wreck the next episode because it's Oh, oh. I'm going to beep that out. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Just, just because, because it's beep. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because y'all get a spoiler for episode 12, but you're not going to know what episode 13 is about. Okay. All right. Well, do you have anything? any other thoughts? No. Mm, me neither. I don't neither. think. What are thinks? Anyways, so we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye. Goodbye forever. Thank you for listening to Murder on the Music Scene. Our cover art and our music and editing is done by Caitlin Anderson. Check out our website at murderonthemusicscene.com and don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Murder on the Music Scene. If you have suggestions or comments, email us at murderonthemusicscene at gmail.com. All of our episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. If you would like to support us, you can become a patron on Patreon. Just search Murder on the Music Scene or use the link on our website. Make sure to join us next time for another conspiracy-filled episode of Murder on the Music Scene.